0: Yep. Uh, welcome to Call and Shots, folks. This is Seth Partnow. I am joined today by, I was telling him before we started, uh, someone who I've been uh, listening to and reading for an embarrassingly long time, uh, lead TV critic of Rolling Stone, <laughs>
1: Alan Sepinwall. Hey, Seth. It's good to be here.
0: Uh, th- thank you for joining me. Um, there's a number of reasons I wanted to talk to you. One, you're, you're a prominent Knicks fan on uh, on, on Twitter, and, and that's a... That's that's reason enough to talk to someone right now, but uh, but also um, uh, just because the, the the aforementioned fanboying, I have I have questions about about TV and where we are now because uh, as someone who has <laughs> lost touch with uh, with the zeitgeist, I feel like on TV yeah. that uh, wanted to to figure out if it's me or if it's there's just too much of it. But
1: there's a lot of, of it. There's, yeah, we'll talk more in a bit, but there's definitely a lot of TV.
0: Yeah, so let's start. Let's start with your beloved New York Knicks. Uh, 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 you're a lifelong Knicks fan, correct?
1: Uh, going back a very long time, yes.
0: So I, I imagine uh, Chris Herring's book brought back some good and bad memories for you.
1: I'm mostly good, especially because yeah. if you look at what the team has been like since the turn of the century. Like, I would kill to have the team that's always in the playoffs usually get makes the second round or better. And like a heartbreaking defeat in the finals, my God, like that's the fantasy at this point. Like, I can't even <laughs> allow myself to ponder that as a possibility for this particular outfit.
0: I, I feel like that's a really good point that that maybe gets lost. Um, and and certainly people from my area, the shop, are as guilty of this as anyone is sort of the, the title or bust mentality kind of um you know for those 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 years of like the Conley, gasol randolph grizzlies it's probably pretty good time to be a fan of the grizzlies
1: yeah no i agree and like you know so the jazz that just got blown up did not live up to expectations but like that was a fun team the trailblazers that just got blown up that was a like i would just really like to enjoy watching my team over a prolonged period of time because Like, they've basically had two good seasons in the last decade or so, both of which turned out to be fairly fluky. Um, So even as you're watching it, it feels like fool's gold and you can't fully embrace it.
0: Even as you're watching it, you're like, ooh, Julius Randle hit another step back long, too. I bet you this continues.
1: Yeah, or you know, ooh, you know, Jason Kidd and Rasheed Wallace are you know playing with renewed vigor at age thirty nine. Uh, this will go well.
0: <laughs> it's something to build on for sure.
1: Um, yes. So, uh,
0: I think that there's been a a watching the the the, the development of Nick's fandom opinion and really league wide opinion about uh, the on again, off again, then finally decidedly off again. Uh, attempt to trade for Donovan Mitchell. Like, where do you come down?
1: I'm in mean, sort of a very weird territory at the moment. I didn't want them to trade for Donovan Mitchell. I didn't think the team at the place it's at on the win curve uh, and with the roster as currently constructed was in a position where they should be giving up the bag for a guy who six one is amazing offensively and doesn't play any defense. Um, it just it, it didn't seem the right move. And yet for the team to come so close and it didn't feel like they, they held the line so much as they were prepared to keep giving up more and just Danny Ainge didn't give them one last chance to counter. It doesn't feel great. It feels like they wanted to make this move and were just sort of prevented from doing it because Danny Ainge didn't like them. Um, And so it's like, well, what is the plan exactly? Um, they didn't want to rebuild. You know, they, they keep like sort of bringing in all these mediocre veterans. So they've got a bunch of interesting kids, but I don't know like that there is any actual high end talent on the team. I don't know how you're going to get the high end talent. You're, you're not trading for it so far. There's no free agency in the NBA anymore. And because Tom Timino's the coach, they refuse to like bottom out and try to actually get guys high in the lottery. So where's it coming from? They got a roster full of pretty good players but what does that do for you in the nba so while i think a mitchell trade would have for the most part have been a mistake it at least would have gotten you somebody who is like a top 20 player in the nba and you know i don't know that we have anybody who's even close to that right now
0: i mean this is this is quentin grimes erasure but uh
1: yeah <laughs> i look look i would love to fantasize about the idea of quentin grimes like regaining all of the the on-ball skills he allegedly had in high school uh, that went away when he went to college and sort of combining the 3 and D stuff that he's already very good at with, like, actual shot creation. Like, that's one of many fantasies I've had as a Knicks fan. (laughs) When, When we didn't sign LeBron James, there was a part of me, and this speaks to the sickness of being a Knicks fan, that said, you know what? Good because now we're going to trade for Anthony Randolph, and Anthony Randolph is going to like destroy the NBA, and we all remember how that worked out.
0: Oh, the the, the summer of Anthony Randolph. I was at that summer league when he when he when he had like back to back thirty seven point games, and oh and God. there was and there was another guy on the on those summer league teams named Steph Curry who who didn't actually make that many shots, but was like was like no, I think this guy's going to be okay. Uh, and it turned out that way. Um, Would it make you feel any better? Just, you know, it's nothing I can, you know, I'm not, I'm not in like the news breaking or reporting business. Yes. From, from the things that I've heard, it, it does actually seem a lot more like the Knicks kind of held the line and, and then the, the, the Jazz finally just like, all right, let's just get it done with Cleveland
1: then. I mean, it does a little bit. I mean, even, even the, you know, quote unquote held the line offers were pretty darn high. Um, I, I don't know. It's, I guess I feel okay. The problem is you look at the team right now, and I like a number of things they did in this offseason. Jalen Brunson will be the best Nick point guard since at least Stefan Marbury, and you know, perhaps going all the way back to like Mark Jackson and Rod Strickland. It's just been such a dire position for the team for almost my entire life rooting for them. So that's good. I like Hartenstein. Um, you know, I like having sort of a healthy backup center. Um, And they got rid of a bunch of the veterans who shouldn't have been on the team anymore. But we still have Julius Randle, who I just never want to see play in a game of uh, basketball again, blocking Obi Toppin's path to minutes. We still have Evan Fournier, who has his uses, but, like, I would really rather not see him play either. And we still have Derrick Rose, who, you know, a couple of years ago had a great season for us, but is going to block Emmanuel quickly from playing point guard and we still have Cam Reddish, who I still have no idea why we traded here in the first place, um, and so, yeah, I would feel good if it, the team was just like Jalen Brunson and all these other guys who are 26 and under and that's all he played, but I, like, you basically have to timbs-proof the roster and get rid of every single one of the veterans in order for that to happen, and that does not necessarily speak well of your coach if you have to like prevent him from playing the bad players.
0: <laughs> no, I that I was going to be as... like just wondering from your standpoint, like how much of this is like an overarching or how many of these are sort of symptoms of the fact that for it's, uh, it's almost, excuse me, Tibbs is almost, uh, he almost made himself obsolete too fast and and that they got what they, they could out of him in in really the first year. And it's probably maybe been time to move on, but all these other problems are sort of, their problems because it's still Tibbs there.
1: I, I think that's part of it. I think a part of it is just like, I'm not sure why they hired Tibbs in the first place. I think the idea, the philosophy was, we've been a laughing stock for a long time. So we've got, the team's got to start playing better. Um, and so we're going to bring in a guy who can get blood from a stone and he will, you know, maximize our number of wins. But uh, as a result of doing that, we wound up re-signing all of these mediocre free agents who we then had to like spend draft equity to get rid of. We signed Julius Randle to a contract that seemed like a bargain at the time and now is a millstone around the team. Uh, We wound up with a much lower draft pick in what turned out to be a really loaded draft. So it was sort of – whereas if you look at, like, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they they were basically on the same timeline as the Knicks. They picked Garland, a pick or two, after we took RJ, and for the moment that looks like the better pick. But then they were bad for another season, and as a result they've got Evan Mobley. And we've got Quentin Grimes, and as much as I enjoy Quentin Grimes, he's no Evan Mobley. So so they did this from the beginning because they're sort of trying to do this in-between path that every Knicks administration under James Dolan has tried to do, and it never works, and they keep doing it, and no one ever wants to actually rebuild. And you can tell, like, the fans at MSG want to watch the kids that's all they want they desperately want to see rj and they desperately want to see obi and quickly and and everybody else and like the team just kind of refuses to give it to them because i guess they're afraid if they don't have quote-unquote stars things aren't going to work but that's just not i think what the fan base is looking for it's very very frustrating
0: i have uh... So, I, 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 in defense, I, I didn't like the Tim's hire when it was made, but, but in in defense, I mean, it was, like, step one was to make this a professional basketball team again.
1: Yeah, and I, and get, I get that, I get part. Yeah.
0: And I think, and again, I think that was all right. That'll take him a year or two, and it, and it for whatever reason, some of it was, you know, Julius Randle having a great year. Some of it was opponents not making a lot of threes early in the season. Um, but also, you know, definitely credit to, to, you know, credit is due to to Tom Thibodeau for for that season they had, but it was like, okay, this is, you know, again, we, we, we got there twice as fast and now we're just sitting here, um, you know, and and as these, as the, the young players that we want, that we wanted to have come up in a competent system are now kind of moldering on the docks.
1: Yeah. And. And like guys like Fred Katz at the Atlantic have written like really good pieces about the work that Tibbs does in practice with the young players. And it sounds like he's a pretty good developmental coach and he talks the talk there. He just does not walk the walk when it comes time to playing these guys. For whatever reason, he was convinced that like the only way out of the mess last year was to just keep playing Julius Randall minutes as opposed to like upping Obi and Obi didn't really start playing until they shut Julius down at the end of the year. it's just it's a, it you know it's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expect, expecting a different result.
0: So I'm going to ask a, I'm going to ask a question that that I'm going to duck after I ask it, but is uh it, is there anything that could happen this year to kind of bring you you as the avatar of all Knicks fans at the moment back around on Julius Randle? Because I mean, I I certainly I I remember like the uh, approbation I got uh, last off season, off being a little skeptical of whether yeah. he'd continue, and now it does. It does feel like it's maybe swung a little too far. He didn't become an awful player overnight. He had a bad season in a in a in with a, an environment that did not help him get better
1: shots. Yeah. Well, it's it's a hard thing because I think like we saw two years ago, like the ideal version of a team where you let Julius Randall like do everything. He just becomes your offense. And that was a good team. And, you know, they were a top four seed. And then as soon as they got into the playoffs, you know, Nate McMillan figured out how to shut that down right quick and he never recovered. And so it becomes a question of. Can Julius Randle be, like, a a willing number two, really a willing number three he arguably should be after Brunson and RJ? I don't know that he is either emotionally or just basketball-wise capable of doing that. He's always been a super high-usage guy. He's usually not efficient. He's also—he's not fun to watch. Even in that season where he was making all those circus shots, you know, fading away on the baseline— it still was not like thrilling basketball. I remember it's sort of like you know when Carmelo was still good on the Knicks. He was a great offensive player. He was not fun, um, and so it becomes this problem where you have this guy sitting behind him. I don't know how good Obi Toppin is. I really don't. I don't. He's got a lot of holes in his game, but good things seem to happen when he's on the court, and more importantly, entertaining things seem to happen when he's on the court. And we're at a point where I would rather like lose entertainingly then sort of struggle to around 500 with this guy like holding the ball and jab stepping and, you know, spinning around a whole bunch of times. I just I don't know, like what the best case scenario for Randall is, because if he comes back and he's playing better. Like, are people still going to want to trade for him? I don't know. Will the team even be willing to trade him if he plays better or will they buy into it for a second time? I just want him gone. If we have got (laughs) to give up one of those protected first round picks to do it, just do it.
0: So that's that's a firm no to the question of whether he yes. his, his next tenure is is, rehabil- is subject to rehabilitation. Okay, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, where uh, a, a potentially uh, lightning rod question that has also gotten me in trouble from time to time. Where are you on uh, on on what you you think of of what RJ Barrett is and can become?
1: I have very mixed feelings on RJ, and you know honestly, if they had used him to get Donovan Mitchell. And the rest of the package had not been like that egregious. I would have been fine with it because I'm worried that we've just done what we did with Randall, which is pay a guy a year earlier than we had to because we thought we were getting a bargain. And it's suddenly not going to be a bargain. I think there's a lot of good things RJ does, but he's also a high usage guy who's not efficient at all yet. Um, And he kind of he does a lot of things well, but nothing great. So, like, maybe that's an Andre Iguodala type, only he's not the athlete that Iguodala is or, you know, that, like, an Andrew Wiggins or somebody else like that is. He's really strong, but he's not fast. He doesn't elevate much. He gets to the basket a lot, but doesn't finish well at the basket. He gets fouled a lot, but right now is not a particularly good free-throw shooter. He was great uh, a couple of years ago uh, as a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, not as good this past year and has not really proven to be great at creating his own you know off the dribble threes so i don't know i he wants to be here he's clearly a hard worker i have no like personality problems with him whatsoever i just don't know like what the ceiling is on him um and it's sort of it's very typical mix it's the highest draft pick We've had since Ewing, and it was the number three pick in a two-player draft. We always, always pick one spot after whatever the cream of the draft is. You mentioned Steph Curry before. Guess where he went? Uh, you, you may remember. It was one spot before the Knicks took Jordan Hill. Jordan
0: Hill, yeah. The immortal Jordan Hill. Um, yeah, no, I, I I, will say, and I, I think that the, the, the – the, the RJ extension was very, was perfectly sensible. Like this, like the yeah. sticker shock of the amount is I, it is hard to get past. Like you know, I my running gag is that's a whole lot of player X, and it is. But at the same time, like twenty six million is kind of what a starting like a, a, a an, an average or slightly above starting wing gets in this yeah. environment, and like. Is yeah, I I don't feel terrible about about saying that R J is going to be that for the next the, the next four years and and it certainly you know it was sensible in that a lot of times when um you know it, contra sort of the the Randall situation um the 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 risks were sort of a little bit balanced between player and team whereas a lot of times you see the early extension it's like the team you know the Michael Porter Jr situation is of course the the, the almost the the, the the peak of that is like well we could wait till he's in restricted free agency or we can pay him now oh he's hurt oh he might never be the same oh no yeah um and, and this is not that this is you know RJ no, could I don't continue developing yeah
1: grip-like. yeah it's just like the best the the most realistic path forward for this team to get off of the treadmill of mediocrity is for RJ to become a star. I would love to see that. It's just, it's a very sort of narrow, narrow path for a guy with his skill set to do that.
0: Hmm. So I'm going to make my, I'm going to like my, make my last sort of ditch uh, effort to sort of talk you off the, the ledge a little bit is I think that you're, and and people have disagreed with me about this before, but I think a lot of Nick fans sort of, a furor over what's gone on now is, is 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 more about scars of previous regimes than anything specific to what this team i think i think actually this group has been by and large pretty sensible like the the the, the, the devotion to tibbs being sort of the the one outlier and i think there are reasons for that but from a personnel standpoint i think they've generally been pretty sensible
1: uh, I mean, it's, I think you can sort of look at individual, there's a lot of individual moves that are good. There's a bunch of individual moves that are not great. You know, you look at like the transaction where they traded out of the 19th pick, uh, at last year's draft and eventually turned that into Cam Reddish, who I'm not even sure can play basketball. Um, and they are not letting him play basketball as well. It's more like it's a, it's a philosophical thing. It's like big picture. What are we doing here? Is the plan just, you wait and try to trade for a star if like it seems like that's all it is and i don't know that like that's the best path i think there's a lot of individual things they've done well that we've got the best young talent base the team has had probably in my lifetime um but like there's i don't know that there and we've got a lot of draft equity but at the moment there doesn't seem to be a lot of upside so you know being better than you know glenn grunwald being better than scott laden you know being better than phil jackson or steve mills that is a very low bar, and I, these guys have definitely cleared that, and they're executing the, this plan better than most past Nick administrations have. I just don't think it's a great plan, unfortunately.
0: That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, 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 I much like you, would, would like to see just, you know, you play some of the, you know, a lot more quickly, a lot, lot more top, and as you say, good things, especially with quickly, good things have tended to follow him on the court for whatever reason. Um, yeah. For his whole his whole career, so I would, I, uh, and yeah, so I think that would be just just get to just to get to see like so you, like as of yeah, right they're now, gonna have
1: to pay those two guys yeah, next right. summer. What, what are they gonna do? They barely played. Yeah.
0: No, it's and I think that's like like finding out that that Obi Toppin can't play is actually not a bad outcome. Yes. And 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 I think that's a, and the Knicks are, are, are far from the only team to. To sort of fall into this trap of of well we're, we're we're not really going anywhere but we gotta we gotta play the vets and this guy's gotta we'll make a decision when it's time to make a decision when well surely you can do more to get information on this guy now
1: yeah and it's just it, it becomes this weird thing where on the one hand Tibbs has this reputation as the guy who like will do anything to get a win and yet his rotation but he won't do that yeah it's a, yeah. He's, he's meatloaf it's like he's, yes. he he claims he's playing the best guys when clearly he was not because if you look at how well the bench unit played versus how well the starters played um and yet he kept running those guys out there and kept playing alec burks at point guard and, and all of these other just dumb things yeah i don't i don't understand it
0: i think we've just i think we've just successfully pitched a clutch points graphic by the way his kid t- t- Tibbs would do anything for a win, and then a picture of, of Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. But he'd like sitting like.
1: <laughs> oh boy, oh boy! I was literally discussing that song with one of my kids yesterday because I'm like, I've heard this a million times, and I still don't know what that is that he won't do. But with Tibbs, it's very clear. It's I won't play Emmanuel Quickly, point guard, and I won't play Obi Toppin more than ten minutes if I have any other choice.
0: So to, to 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 put a to put a bow on the Knicks, uh, yes. or, or, or lipstick on a pig, or what have you. Um, like, what are you what are you looking? In, are, are, do you have any expectations coming into this season, or are you just like resigning yourself to a slog?
1: I mean, it depends. There, we we've still got a few weeks still training camp, and now that the Mitchell thing has has blown up on them. Maybe they'll make some other moves. Maybe they will unload Fournier. Maybe they will attach a protected pick to get rid of Randall. I don't know. Um, the team, as it, the roster as it's constructed right now, doesn't really make a lot of sense and feels like they are going to once again going pell-mell towards making the play-in game, and either they're going to make it and get knocked out, or they're going to finish late in the lottery again like they just did this past season. Um, my hope is that we just wind up playing the younger players, and either the team succeeds because of them, And that's great because it means that we've got a bunch of good young players or the team does not play well. And thus we get a high pick in what seems to be another loaded draft. Those are the two things I'm rooting for. I don't know how realistic it is as long as sort of uh, the guy on the bench is the guy on the bench and the front office is either unwilling or unable to tell him to do anything else.
0: And if ever there was a year to tank... Um, I yep. don't know how much I don't know how much you you know about Victor
1: Wembanyama, but I've I've seen the highlights. I'm yeah. I'm on social media. Yep, it's, I want him it, to, and the fact that the team is not doing everything it can to get him. I mean, I know that the lottery odds are flattened and whatever, but the the thing is, like, even if you don't get the first pick, maybe you'll get the third pick, the fourth pick, the fifth yeah. pick, whatever pick you get is going to be so much better than picking eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, like the Knicks always do. Uh, and there's one year in this century where they actively tried to get a high draft pick, and they got R.J. Barrett. And unfortunately, that was one pick too late. But even so, he's still one of their better players. You would think they would have learned a lesson from that, and yet no. But
0: who, you know, the guy. But who wants the guy whose whose tape looks like Power Memorial Lou Cinder? <laughs> Sorry, that, that, that's cruel. That's cruel. Seth, isn't it?
1: That's really that's mean. I gotta go sit in a corner now and cry. I will,
0: speaking of meme, this is a terrible segue, but I'm going there. Um, do it. I've been in, so I've, I've uh, the group text I'm in with, uh, with some folks I used to work with, who were in the video room with the, with the Bucks when, when I was there, uh, they're big Game of Thrones fans, and they were asking how people have, have thought of House of Dragons, and like, Seth, what do you think? It's like, I actually haven't watched it yet. Um yes. and this gets to, this gets to sort of my now some of that is is specific to the show of like not being very much happy with how the original series ended but it's also yeah. like I feel like I just don't have like I am I am just now like I'm on season 2 of the Americans that's how far behind I am
1: Oh that's a great show you're in, you're in for some really good stuff coming up
0: Yeah like this the, the stuff I've caught up on this summer is like I watched like the first couple seasons of Ozark and I kind of liked it, but I was actually feeling like I found myself feeling very anxious at all times. Walk, walk, and I think the show had, the had a lot to do with no, it.
1: No good. No good is going to come okay. of you sticking with Ozarks. Yeah, okay, trust That's
0: me. Good, good, good to know. Okay, um, <laughs> it's uh, like I, I kind of got what I needed from from Jason Bateman and Laura Linney being devious. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, but my my under is. How is one defined and decide what is the good TV to watch since it seems like there's so much <sighs> look at this TV now?
1: It's, I mean, that's a really big question. It's a thing I've been struggling with. I wrote, let me see if I can find it via my friend Google, um, but I wrote something way back when I was at HitFix. So that's a, a long, long wow. time ago. Um, it's Firewall uh, Iceberg Days. Yes, uh, this was. I wrote something in 2013, April 11th. So this was almost 10 years ago now. I wrote a column with the headline, How Much Good TV Is Too Much? And this was right around that Netflix had just started doing like original streaming series at this point. Hulu wasn't really doing it and Amazon wasn't. There weren't like all these other outlets. And even then it started to feel like, wait a minute, I can't really keep track of every show the way I did when I started doing this. Um, and it's only gotten vastly worse. There's, um, uh, more than 500 scripted shows are going to air across broadcast cable and streaming over the course of this year. Even if I did nothing else, even if I didn't write anything, even if I didn't sleep, even if I didn't ever talk to my kids, if all I did was try to watch television, uh, as long 24 hours a day, I couldn't get to half of that. I couldn't get to a third of that. It's too much um and so what winds up happening is you're just you're just guessing you're doing a lot of triage it becomes well who's making this show what's the show about who's in this show what platform is the show premiering on you know and also like do i have episodes of it and are, are am i getting episodes at a time where i don't have six other things i need to be watching uh and you know usually you get lucky but i'm sure there's a lot of really great things that i'm missing and this is my job um and sometimes I wind up watching many episodes of a show I don't like at all. And I get frustrated with that. So it's, it's very, very challenging. And I, I just, it becomes guesswork. And sometimes I guess, right. And sometimes I don't.
0: Are there shows now that you're watching kind of out of obligation?
1: Um, I mean, house of the dragon might be one of those. I reviewed it after watching the first six episodes. I didn't really like it much. Um, it's hit, um, it, it, you know, it, It went up in its second week, which never happens anymore. And it's basically like hovering at the peak of Game of Thrones audience. So clearly there's still an appetite for that. As a result, even though I didn't really care about anything by the end of the sixth episode, I'm at least going to watch the rest of the season to see if it engages me a little more because there's a degree to which you want to stay involved in the conversation. You know, I watched The Walking Dead at least two years past when I was enjoying it for similar reasons, but. At some point, you just kind of it becomes a life's too short situation, and you just have to watch the things you like. And if those aren't necessarily the things that lots of other people are watching, maybe you can steer them to them. Maybe you're you know just shouting into the wind. I'm, a
0: story idea for you is uh, is a is a guide to tapping out on a show. Yes, like for I, I I I don't know if you're like me. I'm something of a completionist, so like yeah. even though you said, "Nah, don't bother with Ozark." Like it's gonna see, like I'm gonna see, continue watching on Netflix, and it's gonna pick at me. But Seth, until, even until... even if you
1: enjoy a couple of more seasons of it, the finale will actively anger you. You don't okay. want to do this to yourself.
0: So we're we're in like lost Game of Thrones territory for bad endings. Then,
1: uh, I mean, I like the lost finale, but I, okay. I understand why many people don't. So if 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 you get upset by endings, do not keep going.
0: I, just, I sort of I, I the thing that that bugs me about like when, when shows end is when you look back and it's like so what the fuck was the point of all that? Yes. And that and that's and that's the part of the gust. So why did we care about the Taylors Like why what was the ba- like like why why did Walt matter so much? Like it's yeah. it's you know, it's it's um so you were just you were just bsing us that you had a plan the whole time. Is that what you're telling me? Is sort of yeah. The...
1: But on the other hand, I, the counter argument I would make to that is sometimes shows have a plan and the plan you know blows up in their face. Like I don't know, did you ever watch How I Met Your Mother? Uh, I've seen episodes like on airplanes. Okay, so they, the long story short on that show, they decided like early on in the first couple of years of it exactly how they wanted the show to end and even filmed the ending in advance because they knew the actors playing the kids would be too old by whenever the show actually ended. And it, like the series kept going and it evolved way past whenever that ending would have made sense. <laughs> and they stuck with it anyway. And it's like, it was so enraging that most of the people I know who watched the show all the way to the end are like, I never want to think about How I Met Your Mother ever again because I can't believe they still did that.
0: Right. So maybe maybe another example is like the end of, the, of uh, the end of the first season of Homeland, where they were they were originally going to kill Brody, right? And then yeah,
1: um, they... I, I, it's, I've heard different things about whether they were ever going to kill him. Clearly, they should have killed him. Yeah, um, but you know, planning is planning. Sometimes is great. The wire was planned out; that went well. Sometimes impro- improvisation is great. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul—they never knew what they were doing more than a couple of episodes ahead of when they did it. And, you know, those are two of the best dramas ever made. So it's I think it's more about like the talent of the people making the shows more than it is about a specific plan. Sure. That makes sense.
0: Um, but still, uh, so but the point yeah. stands is is, is the, uh, the the user's guide to quitting on a show. Yes. I'm I sorry. I'm taking be, us off the track. Yeah, I think that I think that would be tremendously useful, both for like letting people know it's time and like, hey, here's some other things to try instead. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've, I've certainly thought about that and that's, I, I've written like little bits of that over the years But doing it as one big omnibus I think that makes a lot of sense Back back when I had my old blog a million years ago And Seinfeld references were not nearly as dated as they are now <laughs> I would periodically do a thing where it's like Well, I've just reached the That's it for me Moment of the show Like George tapping out of, of a joke At the end of like one of the later episodes of that Oh, God Too much TV, man Too much TV Okay, so rather
0: than complaining about this, like, yes, it does seem like do you feel like there is more opportunity for better, interesting, different TV to get um, get some shine? Or is it just is it so like, oh, everyone's trying to remake Lost with like La Brea or or whatever else these things are?
1: I I think we're in sort of a a weird middle ground right now. I think there's a lot of people who are chasing, like, blockbuster audiences that Game of Thrones had. So you've got House of the Dragon, you've got Lord of the Rings that just debuted on Amazon that, like, is costing a billion dollars. You've got a lot of these big fantasy shows, a lot of these Marvel shows, most of which have been pretty good, but almost never great. Um, You know, so a lot of superhero shows, a lot of science fiction, a lot of fantasy and all of that. And that's being chased to varying degrees of success uh, but at the same time, you also have room for really weird little things. So you've got uh, Reservation Dogs, the FX show that's on Hulu, which is maybe the best show on TV right now and is so specific uh, about a, a group of indigenous teenagers in rural Oklahoma and so weird. And it feels it just doesn't feel like anything else on TV, even though there's like multiple other shows this summer involving indigenous characters. Uh, and so that's a show that couldn't have existed even a few years ago. And that's great. And right before I hopped on with you, I was watching screeners for the second season of Los Spookies on HBO, which is a show mostly in Spanish, a comedy, supernatural, very weird and silly and goofy. And again, the tone is not like anything else uh, with Fred Armisen and, and a bunch of other people that I really, really love. And I'm happy to have that back. You know, we've still got one more season of Atlanta to go. So there is definitely still room for stuff that's cool, for stuff that's experimental, even for stuff that's great. You know, Apple TV did, you know, they did Severance earlier this year. They did Pachinko, which I thought was fantastic. So there's still some stuff. It's just there's a lot of things out there that are either settling for just being reminding you of something else you've seen so that the algorithm can say, if you like this, you'll like that. Um, And there's a lot of stuff that just sort of settles for being like a B or B minus version of that, um, so it's harder to find really, really great stuff, but it does still exist.
0: What uh, What tips would you have for someone who is, is sort of like at this point? My wife and I are kind of like, what's our what's our next show? We we kind of like we're working our way through Only Murders, and then we kind of need we need like something after that, and then. You know, it's you mentioned Marvel shows. Like, it's sort of been defaulting when we want to put something mindless on. It's like, well, we can we can rewatch a, a, a season of Agents of Shield or something like that. Uh,
1: well, I mean, the selfish answer, <laughs> the self-aggrandizing right. answer, is for me to yeah. say, find like a reviewer whose taste you feel relatively simpatico with, and read them or listen to their podcast or whatever else they do, and like try the stuff that they're recommending. You know, a few years ago, I, I co-wrote this book called TV: The Book that where me and Matt Zeller sites ranked the hundred best shows of all time. And, you know, one of the things we heard for a while after that was this is great, every time I'm sort of struggling to find a new binge, I look into this and I sample something and it's usually something I wind up enjoying. Um, you know, but like I said, even us, we're not always necessarily finding the best things there periodically. Like I will have someone on Twitter say, Hey, have you seen show X? And I will go, I've never even heard of that. And several times I've been made several times I've gone on to watch it and it's like my new favorite thing. There's this like Australian preschool cartoon called Bluey about a family of like oh, healer dogs. We know all about Bluey. Yeah, it's the greatest show I've ever made. I can't believe like <laughs> I have my children are long past the age where any of us in the house should be watching Bluey and we like watch it every night. It's the best thing. So so, so it's definitely a thing where, like, I'm trying to recommend stuff from, to people, but sometimes the people have to recommend stuff to me because there's just so much of it.
0: Is there? Do you think that there's like binge fatigue?
1: I think there is, and I think you've definitely seen that almost everybody but Netflix is moving away from the binge release. Um, and I don't think Netflix is ever going to do it because if they were, they would have done it with this most recent season of Stranger Things. Um. But it's like I remember the, the weekend that House of Cards came out and if you were on social media at the time to see who could finish it first you know Brian Stelter was like you know I'm on episode 9 uh, you know I'm, I'm it, it became this weird like race to do it uh, and now it just feels like homework and part of that is because I think most of the Netflix originals are not as good as they probably should be um, and are made by people who don't necessarily know how to make television and so they just sort of get like slack and kind of tedious when you're halfway through it but part of it is just like you want to be able to sit and wait and savor something um you want to be able to talk about it for a while or think about it you know before you get to the next episode and if and if you're someone who prefers to binge you can always wait until the end of that season but i think almost everyone recognizes that binges were more of an aberration than like a new normal, and so we've started seeing everybody else move uh, away from that as much as they can.
0: Is there a way a way to make a bingeable show versus something that's better consumed sort of episodically, uh, or is it just certain kind of subjects, certain 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 plots blend themselves more to binging, and and others are better bite sized?
1: Um, I mean, it's weird because I I always before the binge existed, I would recommend with the wire. Like if you're going to watch the if you're going to start the wire, set aside like three or four hours so you can watch that many episodes in a row to begin with, because otherwise you're not going to have any idea what's going on or whether you like it. Um, so that's not necessarily a show you would think of as like bingey because it's there's so, it's so dense and so much is going on, but in that case it benefits from being seen all in a row. Usually the best binges tend to be either things that are really quick, you know, like a 20-minute comedy or even something like I Think You Should Leave or the episodes are maybe 15 minutes. Or it's something that, like, uh, even if the episodes are longer, has just so much forward momentum that you want to see what happens next and you want to see what happens next. And the problem that Netflix, I think, has run into and some of the other streamers to a lesser degree is they've now, like, they're designing shows entirely around asking that question, and there's really nothing else of interest happening in those shows, uh, which has become a problem. But I definitely think, like, Breaking Bad is a really great binge that also works really well as a weekly show because they knew how to make episodes, um, which is not something you see in a lot of streaming series now.
0: Sure, and I I think that's, that that propulsiveness is, I think, you know, I, yeah. I watched the first season of The Americans when it came on and then for whatever reason kind of lost it. And so I was like watching it back and it was like, I remember so little of this, but I need to watch the next episode. And I definitely found myself staying up too late a couple of nights just because I couldn't like not hit the next episode button. So I think that's a that seems to me like a show that has that propulsiveness, even though the episodes are reasonably self-contained.
1: Yes, and I think and I think part of what also makes it work is you've gotta have a show like you care about the people on the show and i think that's i'm doing a lot of like grumpy old man stuff here and i apologize for everybody (laughs) listening about that um but i think one of the mistakes a lot of more recent shows make is that they are focused like 80 to 90 percent on plot above anything else and so there's no reason to like actually care about what's happening and the, the sort of secret advantage that tv had over movies was you spend a lot of time with these people and you get to know them and you get to like them. And therefore the things that happen to them in the 11th hour, the 15th hour, the 37th hour, however long you're watching it matter a lot more. And a lot of these current shows are not putting in the effort on the character front to do that, even if a lot of plotty things are happening. And so at a certain point, just the sheer amount of stuff is not exciting anymore because there's nothing in it that matters to you emotionally.
0: I mean, that's, I mean, I think you you kind of described the difference between – you may not have liked these people, but you certainly were invested in them in the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones versus the uh, post-what-George-had-gotten-to seasons.
1: Yeah. Is that, and is, I, that, is that fair? I think that's part of it. I think that there's – I think the issue with those last few Game of Thrones seasons isn't so much that they went past George because I think that there were certain certain frustrating things in the first five years or so of the show that I think were specifically because they were stuck with things that George had done. I think it was more just at a certain point you could tell that the Benioff and Weiss were kind of burnt out and over it and yet they didn't want to like sort of give up the show. Uh, and so i think at a certain point they would have just been better off giving it to somebody else i don't know how much of that is is the george thing versus you know the fatigue thing
0: and and i guess the counterpoint is two of like favorite shows recently are where the the plot is sort of tangential is like schitt's creek or or ted lasso
1: yes i mean those are those are hangout shows and that's obviously an easier thing to do in a comedy than it is in a drama but i've I have definitely loved a number of like one hour or at least thirty minute primarily dramatic hangout shows, but again, you that's a very sort of you know narrow needle to thread there. You've got to have great characters, great atmosphere, so that people want to watch even though nothing is happening.
0: Sure, let me. There's a, there's another genre of TV that has become a, a, a streaming certainly, but like I think it was largely pioneered by Hard Knocks, but it's been sort of the 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 character based docu series. Um, <laughs> what, what what I mean I, I mean, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of that in and I've I've liked the of what I've seen so far of, of Welcome to Wrexham. Um, but uh, but I mean what what are your thoughts on that as a sort of an art form if you will or is it I unfortunately it do just, not
1: have a lot of I unfortunately don't have a lot of thoughts on the the genre because one of the things that happened around probably the time I wrote that column in 2013 was. I had to start making decisions about what I was going (laughs) to make time for. And one of the easiest cuts was just I'd always liked scripted TV more than, you know, documentaries or reality. And so I basically stopped watching them as a way to just sort of, you know, desperately try to keep up with the things I was most invested in. And so while I will watch live sports and that probably eats into some of the time I, you know, professionally should be spending watching more shows I don't really watch like the 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 behind the scenes shows or the reality competition shows or, or any of that stuff. I'm sorry. Sure. No, it's it's
0: I, as as someone who's in the uh, the Drive to Survive generation of F1 fandom, it's, it's something that, that <laughs> and, and, and who who wonders why the NBA can't do like can't figure out how to make stars of, of new players better in a, in a, when it's just demonstrated how how like wonderful it can be for your your fandom. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's a, um, last sort of, last sort of direct film question or movie uh, TV. Sorry. Wow. Question.
1: TV is, is not whatever. movies, Seth. I'm, I'm outraged. Yeah. I'm going to go. It's, a, it's,
0: it's not, a, it, it, here's a, it, it's not a visual art form. Uh, see.
1: yes. Uh, oh, that's, uh, that's a very <laughs> old firewall and iceberg joke. Boy, oh boy.
0: <laughs> sorry about that. Um, um, I, I, um, both because it's a basketball show and because I, by uh, the, one of, one of the producers on the show was actually in my wedding. Uh, I got to ask about the, I got to ask about the winning time. What, what you thought of, what you thought of that show?
1: I enjoyed winning time while only sometimes feeling confident that it was good, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's a it's a show that sort of was trying to do like a million things all at once, not just in terms of story, but in terms of like style and tone and everything else. And, you know, one minute, like six characters are talking to the camera and then somebody else is narrating and then the film stock is changing and all of this is happening all at once. And it certainly had a lot of energy in a way that like a, a bunch of shows now just kind of don't. And so for that reason, as much as anything else, I was I was happy to watch it and I thought some of the performances were great, John C. Riley especially, but like Quincy Isaiah as Magic Johnson, that should be an impossible character to play. And I thought he did really well with it. So I definitely had fun watching it, and that's when I wound up recapping. And it's I don't recap a lot of TV these days, just because there's too many things just to, for me to have to watch and review. And I looked at that one, and I thought, okay, this this we'll have some fun with for, for eight to ten weeks. And I think people will be talking about it. And it seemed like that was the case, although a lot of the talk was from basketball writers who were offended on behalf of Jerry West.
0: Which I didn't understand because it's it it seemed like a, a pretty sympathetic and, you know, certainly heightened, maybe in like a pro wrestling kind of way, but not like a factual kind of you know, he's someone who was very famously like Miserable with doing anything but winning, and that just like sort of made him content, not happy. Like I don't know. Yes, like, have, having having spent time around professional coaches, um I, there was there, there was it did not seem like a like a like a ludicrously over over the top portrayal of that mindset. I'll put it that way.
1: Yes, uh, and you know, and then and then of course you also have this other thing which happens sometimes where. Um, you have you got a bunch of people who have a specific area of expertise and suddenly their area of expertise is being fictionalized. And for the first time, they're like, wait, no, that's not what happened. That's not accurate. And it's like, you know, my wife works in healthcare; She can't watch hospital shows because anytime something happens, she's like, that's not what they would do there um you know the fifth season of the wire where they had the stuff about the newspapers (laughs) i was working at a newspaper at the time i'm like wait a minute that's not right does that mean they've been exaggerating other things um and so i think you saw a lot of that with like nba twitter especially regarding winning time of you know i was there and suddenly they're bending the truth therefore this show is bad
0: right uh, the one, the, the one exception to that rule, by the way, is is the first couple seasons of Law and Order, which I, I honest to goodness, used as a study guide uh, for my criminal law class in law school, but because <laughs> the, the cases they cited were all real cases. And, and, and um, so, I wanted to, got just a couple minutes left. Just wanted to ask you about something. I, I we're we're similar in age, I think, and have kind of done careers that didn't exist. When it was time for us to pick a career, so what do you say to people when they ask you, "Hey, being a lead TV critic for Rolling Stone sounds fun. How does one become a, a TV critic or <laughs> anything like that? Yeah. How do you how do you explain to people that it's like, well, I didn't try to do that; it just kind of a bunch of th- weird things happened, and here I am."
1: Yeah, I mean it's. I had a really very, very unusual and probably non-repeatable path to get where I am right now. And so I always feel a little bad when people ask me this question because there's there's not a lot of good advice I can give them right. in terms of like, be in the right place at the right time, six times in a row um, and things will go okay for you. I've been incredibly f- fortunate in terms of timing and other times, but I've also like worked my ass off to get here. Um, and I, and I I actually do think this is kind of what I wanted to do, or at least what I knew I wanted to do within like a a year or so of, of being out of college. So I've been really lucky in that respect, but I just, I watch a ton. I write a ton. I read a ton. Um, and so, I mean, the, the, the best advice I can give is just sort of like commit to what you're doing in as much time as you can devote to doing that. Uh, because sort of repetition is the only way to get better. It's the same thing in sports. Like RJ Barrett's not going to learn to finish with his right hand unless he like you know does that a million times in practice over the summer. You know I'm not going to become a better writer if I just you know sit around all day you know playing Candy Crush. You know you've, you've got to do it.
0: Do you have any sort of the the, the hardest piece of advice for me to to or to me to get across to people who are trying to do like sports analytics is sort of not having get, tell, uh, helping people to figure out how not to try to replicate things that people have done before, but to do their own thing. Do you have any? Yeah, sort doing of- your
1: own. Yes, doing your own thing is important. You know, there there was a period there for a little while where I was like, um, I found myself trying to write like Bill Simmons, but for television. And eventually, I'm like, wait, no, I've just got to be myself and do my own thing. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean like being yourself means that you have to constantly inject yourself into your writing. I think that sometimes there's a risk of going much too first-person, much too personal, uh, and suddenly you're not, like, writing about the thing you're writing about, you're writing about yourself. Um, And I think revealing things about yourself is not a bad idea, and done well, it can be really, really effective. But to your larger point, I think it's really important to, like, not just look at what somebody else is doing and say, I can do a version of that. It's more... Look at uh, look at the larger subject matter and saying, well, what is my specific perspective on that, and how can I convey that to other people?
0: I think that's a that like what interests me about this, and let me write about that more if I can distill yeah. it down a little further. I think that's I mean that's that's a complete mirror to to it's like oh I, I want to send some stuff to the team. What should I work on? It's like well. What about basketball is interesting to you? Like, do that. It'll be better than if you tried to, well, a GM might like to see. Like, I don't know. It's it, it, And it, it that that seems to be advice that no one really wants to hear.
1: Oh, well. <laughs> That's, you, you've got to be yourself in, in whatever it is you do ultimately, or you're not going to feel satisfied doing it on top of, you know, not being able to do it as well. Right.
0: Well, I've already I've already kept you for about for for longer than I than I promised you, so I, I apologize for that. But I, I want to really uh, really thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun for me to to get to talk to you about TV as if I know something about it. <laughs> and, look, and, uh, look, Seth,
1: just I, I just need you to tell me that the Knicks are going to trade Julius Randolph. Can I, I? don't even care if you're lying at this point. Just tell me that it's going to happen.
0: Uh, you know, there's there's he's got a lot of years left on that contract, so there's plenty of time. <laughs> You can't even lie to me, Seth. No. No, say I, 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 no. I'm just saying, you didn't say this year. You just said trade him at some at some point. They probably will trade him over the <sighs> over the rem- <laughs> that's, I that's just not what you meant at all.
1: I I want yeah. him. To, you know, I I want him to get the John Wall treatment. I don't care how many years the contract has left. Just send him home.
0: <sighs> that's mean. That's mean. He doesn't seem like a bad guy.
1: Well, like, he seemed kind of like a bad guy this past year. Not like a criminal or anything, but he seemed like a bad teammate and a guy who seemed to resent the fact that, like, fans w- were rooting for other players. And you know, he wasn't getting back on defense. He wasn't helping guys get up when they got knocked down. That's it's, I'm. Yeah, I, he was. He was. It's, a, it's a petty to say, thing for a man my age to yeah. say, but I just don't want to see this guy again.
0: Yeah. You know, as with anything, it almost doesn't matter what you're getting paid if, like, your day-to-day work experience sucks. Some people handle that better than others, but no one's – but everyone's miserable when it happens.
1: Yeah, that's this is entirely true, and we don't know what's going on in the rest of his life, so I don't want to be too harsh on him. He's yeah. just – even when he was great, he wasn't <laughs> that fun to watch, and now he's not good, and so it's really miserable to watch. Let's I know, it I'm it getting – I-
0: I'm getting your way of fandom with these, with these, with this empathy, and that's that has no business here. So apologies. Uh, How dare
1: you be empathetic? How dare you be objective? How dare you speak in logic or this?
0: I don't know. It's it's a fault. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate the the, the time and
1: uh, and also <laughs> it was my uh, absolute um, pleasure, Seth. Thank you.
0: And uh, and uh, appreciate you uh, you uh, reading the book as well. I, as, I, uh, it was one of the names I was most like. Pleasantly surprised to see when I saw the uh, the media wish list for the book. So that uh, was a that was. A oh, real, the book is the
1: me. book is terrific. If anybody's listening to this and for some reason does not own the book, what the hell are you doing? Get, go get the book.
0: <laughs> Midrange theory uh, paperback comes out in November. Uh, available anywhere there in sold.
1: in stores oh. now, and and I yeah. believe copies of the Soprano sessions are still available.
0: There you go. Um th- thank you so much for joining. Thanks folks for listening. I'm back tomorrow with uh something completely different, uh per- T- Professor Tim Chartier of uh Davidson uh, Davidson College uh, who founded a um, Cat Stats, which is one of the more successful sports at college sports analytics group and he has a uh, a new book out today actually. Uh that's, a, that's one of the best intro to sports analytics books I think I've ever seen. So we're going to talk to him tomorrow afternoon. Uh thanks folks for listening. Thanks Alan, for coming on and